0: Well, more than three weeks after shock cross-border attacks on Israeli kibbutz communities, towns and army bases uh, near the Gaza border, many families are beginning to tell their story. For the families, it has been an agonizing wait for answers. The Israeli military says it has confirmed that at least 239 hostages, including toddlers and elderly people, were seized on October 7th. Yanov Yaakov and his family uh, have been living a nightmare since that day. His 59-year-old brother, Yair Yaakov, his brother's girlfriend, My- uh, Mirav Tal, who is 54, and his two nephews, ages 16 and 12, are being held hostage. They live near, near Oz, a kibbutz in southern Israel. On that day, Yair's two boys were staying with his ex-wife. Uh, I spoke to Yanov earlier today. He joined us from Israel and shares his family story
1: it's already been 24 days since this all started um for us uh it's a nightmare that we cannot even describe or explain to the world um what i'm trying to do is uh, tell the world that this this thing should not happened anywhere because Explaining to people, it doesn't matter where, even here in Israel, explaining to people who are not in this situation where their loved ones were kidnapped is so hard and when I say kidnapped is the, the the situation is so horrible because <clears throat> if you imagine yourself sitting in your house, this is your sanctuary, this is the place you feel the most safe.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And if you try to imagine yourself sitting at your living room and then someone breaks into your door comes with guns and it doesn't matter if he hurts you or not but he points out the gun to your head and said come we're taking you and that's even even easiest to to imagine than then what really happened um i for me it was uh uh a shock i'm still in shock 24 days after i cannot even understand how how this happened how 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 they allowed themselves to do that i mean how how do you do that how do you break into a house and then you use an rpg a missile to shoot to a door in order to break it down so they can take my brother and his girlfriend. And when I say that, it's it's so hard to explain because you're thinking about the house and someone shoots a missile within your house. And it's so hard to for me to even uh, understand that because I was in Ganyavne, I was in a safe room and I must explain what's a safe room. So a safe room is, is, is a room made of a lot of concrete and cement that are with a lot of steel in it in order to keep you safe when there is a missile attack. Right. So here I live in Ganyavne, it's uh, around 24 kilometers from Gaza. If you look at it uh, in a direct distance and we have 30 seconds once we hear the the, the red alert, to run to the safe room. And for the people who lived in the kibbutz near Gaza, who really believed they could be good neighbors, right? They lived there uh, uh, as persons who really believed that Gaza could be a good neighborhood. This place could be a good place. They have seven seconds. Think about yourself in a situation where a missile attack is starting and you have seven seconds to run to this safe room that I explained before. And with that, they ran to the shelter, right? They, they ran to that safe room in seven seconds. And then for us, uh, it, 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 it was really a, a bad shock because we called Yair, my wife called him actually and asked him, Yair, this attack, this missile attack is not like we're used to. And that's another funny thing. Israel is used to being attacked by missiles. That's another horrific thing. But, and they said, yes, we are at the the, the safe room. We are there. And then she asked, what about the kids? Where are they? And he said, no, they're at their mom's house. It's When I say their mom's house, you need to understand that a kibbutz is a very small place, right? There are 400 uh, people that are living in a community together. Mm -hmm. So the house was only 200 meters from there. And my wife asked my brother, can you go and get them? And he said, no, I can't. They're shooting outside. They're shooting all over. I'm used to, and that's again, so bad, but I'm used to those missile attacks, but there are Arabs, terrorists outside who are shooting and I cannot go and bring my boys to be with me. So she asked him again, and are you with Mayrav? And he said, yeah, we're trying to hold the door here. We're in the safe room. We need to keep quiet. And his voice was so low. I can tell you that this whole conversation with my wife uh, was recorded in an automatic uh, recording uh, thing in her phone. And I tried with a lot of audio softwares to level up the gain of him talking because he was whispering because they didn't want the terrorists to know that they are in the house. And then after that, that was in the morning And then after that, about half an hour later, we got a WhatsApp audio that even shocked us much more. And um, at that WhatsApp call, we heard Meirav crying for help, really crying for help. And when I say WhatsApp, it was an audio message that came from her when she said, Yair is hurt. He's trying to hold the door. Please call someone please call someone they're here they're shooting and a couple of seconds after that she said they're here they're here they hurt us please call the police please call someone and her voice went down and down in that message and that point was on saturday in the morning and we didn't even imagine what happened there but we lost connection with them. When that happened, I was in a real, real shock, but I gathered all my strengths and said, okay, and if you need to do something, and I've tried using, uh, find my iPhone, and I've tried even hacking to Yair's uh, uh, iCloud account, so I could actually see whether they are still here in Israel. And my instinct was if I found that they are still in Israel, I would turn on my car and drive over there just to bring him back, right? Um, But we failed to do that. Uh, They already blocked the accounts, both Yair's and Mayrav's, And I've tried a lot of things since that moment. But we didn't get anything. And after 30 hours uh, that I was trying with all my friends and all my powers to find them, I was sitting in my, in my room, where I work usually, and my wife and my sister came into the room crying so heavily. I was shocked. I was sure they're going to tell me that Yair was killed was murdered and so I went out because I didn't want my mom to see that and I went outside and showed me and they showed me a movie a propaganda movie which is another shocking thing uh, where Hamas made a propaganda movie showing how they bombed the door how they bumped the door and pulled out my brother and mayrab from the wrecks and took them to Gaza. When I saw that, I was shocked, but I was smiling. And that's a thing that I, I cannot even grasp right now, that I was smiling while I'm seeing my brother being kidnapped and taken instead of crying like my wife. and my sister, and they asked me, why are you smiling? And I said, this is a good sign. He's alive, he's not dead. And, uh, and that's, that's shocking, right? Mm-hmm. You're smiling while you see your brother being taken from his house. And since that moment, we, we didn't have any news from them and and, and know, know new things about their status or whether they are okay because mayraf said he was hurt. We don't know what's their status, whether they took care of my brother or whether they um, took care of his wound and whether they are together. And also we know about the two kids that were kidnapped from his um ex-wife, which we are in a, a very good relationship. We're, we're I, I still call her my sister-in-law, although they were divorced. But she she told us that her her two boys, which are my brother's boys, 12 and 16, like I said, were kidnapped from their home while she was talking to them on the phone. And the youngest one said, don't take me I'm too young so she knew that they were taken also and from from that both moments we knew for sure that all four of them have been taken but we don't know where we don't know how they are we tried um, calling the authorities and asking for help, asking for information. The, the, the most uh, horrible ho- ho- horrible thing is that you don't have any information. You're in a situation where you don't know, and not knowing is the hardest.
0: I appreciate you sharing all of this, uh, Jan. Of, uh, it, it is important for all of us to hear. Um, my final question to you is, are, are you Are you getting information from from government, from the Israeli government, in regards to what they are doing? Are they providing any extra information to you? You don't have to share the information, but certainly. But are they providing extra information to you to to help you and your family at this moment, number one? And what do you want our listeners, more than anything, to take from our conversation today?
1: So, for the first question, so there is an officer from the army that is assigned to our family. And she's really taking care of us, but for information-wise, we don't get anything. I mean, I I can tell that the 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 Red Cross haven't been in uh, Gaza or they are in Gaza, but they haven't seen any of the hostages. And and if if I may may request anything from anyone is give us any sign now I cannot ask that from the audience that are listening right what I'm asking from the audience is to make sure for, for them for the world not for us that we must as a as human beings as as a world not to let this happen again anywhere in the world That's what I plea to all of our listeners. Like you said, don't make it happen again. It's the worst nightmare that you can't, and I say you can't imagine. I hope I answered both of them.
0: You have, and more importantly, I also want to say thank you so much today for for joining us and sharing uh, your story. Uh, your family's story in this very difficult time. Thank you so much for your time today, Yanov.
1: Thank you, Jess. Thank you.